0: Hey, listeners, J.W. here with a quick note. The fall contest is complete, and guest judges Katie McDougal and A.M. Ringwalt have selected the winners. Those shows will be coming up in the next several months. In the meantime, we pulled two shows from the archives. Last week's show was our previous interview with Katie McDougal, and today's show is our previous interview with A.M. Ringwalt. Where we hear and discuss poetry by Dennis Maloney, as well as one of AM's own works. We hope you enjoy learning and listening to the works by both of our guest judges. And now, let's get to the show. Welcome to the Story Discovery Podcast. I'm your co-host, J.W. McAteer. Coming up, you'll hear a new work from our free online publication, Etched Onyx. Please join me and co-host Melissa Collings after the reading, when we talk with the author about their work and all things writing and otherwise. This podcast and all related materials are a production of Onyx Publications. All works, stories, and poems are copyrighted 2022. All rights reserved. Today's poems are From Windows, written by Dennis Maloney and narrated by Melissa Collings. Settle in and enjoy.
1: From Windows A moonless night on A deserted Caribbean beach scattered stars in a cloudy sky. Behind me, a shadowy line of palms and sea grape trees, and just the dark, restless sea, and the music of waves. For a moment, we feel like Columbus never arrived. The conquistadors of today arrive not with an army and a priest, but a checkbook, lawyer, and accountant. The tourists arrive each afternoon as the sun reaches its zenith to the sea and anoint their pale pink flesh with oil that leaves their skin glistening in the sun. Le Corbusier, master architect of the clean but soulless line, created a world pure and devoid of ornamentation, yet based his design for the seacoast of Rio de Janeiro on the dimensions of Josephine Baker's hips. This morning I mistook the sky for an ocean in the windshield, a surreal vision of blues and aquamarines streaming an aqueous vision framed by a shore of shadowy, dark mountains. Snow articulating the folds and wrinkles. Suddenly, I am back on the interstate driving west from Cheyenne, Wyoming. Deep in the evening of the summer solstice, the strawberry moon hung huge over the mountains, walking across the salt flats, illuminating them with an iridescent glow. In June, when fruit bursts forth, the mohawk would gather wild berries, the juice running down their mouths, staining their tongues and faces with joy. Poems that keep alive these ancient songs. Morning too soon, sunlight bright through the windows. The bed warm, wrapped each in the other. We wake from a common dream. Out into a bitter cold, scrape car windows and begin our separate days. Mirrored office towers cold as their blueprints, rise out of old pastures, cut through with new roads, sod rolled out onto lawns, the seams still showing. The mirror walls reflect one another, bits of sky and clouds, in a ragged patch, a chorus of cicadas, sings at the edge of night.
0: You've just listened to Several Poems from Windows by Dennis Maloney. Dennis is unable to join us for today's show. However, we're happy to have one of Nashville's premier poets, writers, singer-songwriters, and a professor of creative writing at Belmont University, A.M. Ringwalt. Welcome, A.M. Thanks for being on the show.
2: Thanks so much, J.W.
0: Happy to have you on. And we, of course, have Melissa as well. Good morning, Melissa.
2: Good morning. Good <laughs>
0: morning. It's morning as we are recording this anyway. Okay, well, uh, A.M., why don't you go ahead and give us a little background about yourself?
2: All right, so um, you covered the bases, J.W. Uh, I'm a kind of multidisciplinary artist, writer. Um, I teach at Belmont. I teach through Nashville nonprofit The Porch. Um, I have a class coming up, I believe, starting next Saturday called uh, Writing the Diary. So we'll be exploring um, diary writing and fiction, nonfiction, and poetry thinking about uh why something gets called a diary versus a journal is it gender motivated you know what what's going on there so i'm really excited to explore that um and yeah i'm just a very active absorber of uh art and (laughs) uh active creator of art so it's great to be here and be a part of your podcast
1: definitely oh we're so excited to have you we
0: are very and I should tell folks at the end of the show you can obviously um, give us your web address we did check out your website and you have a lot of creative uh, work out there in the world and I definitely recommend our listeners go check it out Um, well one of the reasons that we have you on the show since Dennis was unable to make it today is to kind of give us a poetry 101 as it were for both readers and Mm -hmm. writers to talk about what poetry is maybe and what it isn't so can you give us some background on that?
2: Of course. Well, I think as time goes on, that boundary gets a little bit blurrier, right? Um, There's more formal innovation. Uh, Now we have prose poems, right? Um, So honestly, when I'm teaching um, intro to creative writing at Belmont, I think about um, primarily contemporary poetry. And I like to think of it as, you know, If it doesn't obviously look like fiction, if it doesn't obviously look like any subgenre of nonfiction, right, journalism, creative essay, you name it, Mm. um, there's a chance it's a poem. And um, I think more specifically, uh, certain formal choices, even with more experimental works um, like uh, playing with space on the page, you know, um, I know we've emailed Mm. a bit about line breaks and things like that. Um, deliberate play with image and sound, right? Even if it's not like a sonnet, you can still use alliteration or something like that to clue your reader into some more um, poetic devices. So um, I know it's a little bit of an abstract answer to say, well, it's not (laughs) nonfiction and it's not fiction, but um, I do think that the boundaries are getting a little bit blurrier. And to me, that makes poetry more exciting because there's more freedom um, to kind of create a form that suits an individual's voice rather than like feeling like you have to write a sonnet or you have to write a sestina or something like that.
1: Right, right. That makes sense. It does. One thing I was curious about is rules of poetry. Mm -hmm. So what I'm kind of hearing from you is, We're kind of leaning away from some of the rules, but there are definitely some rules you follow for certain types of poetry, if you want to fall into that category, right?
2: Absolutely. I think with more traditional forms, right, you're going to be following those preset rules um, in terms of uh, certain words you repeat or a rhyme Mm -hmm. scheme or something like that. And I think you can still manipulate those rules in more experimental works. Um, And that creates a really interesting tension between uh, tradition, right, and then the new stuff. Um, Yeah, absolutely.
0: That's fascinating. Yeah, several poems that we have received, and I've been reading even just online, um, in terms of the space on the page, it's fascinating, because they they do use the entire page. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if, and this is kind of off the ball question, but, you know, with the way media can be delivered these days, it's not limited to a page. Do you see, and is this something that happens in your classes? In other words, can poetry take on completely different shapes, other than just sort of two-dimensional on a page in, through like a web-enabled, you know, something or other.
2: Totally. I think it absolutely can. I, um, I'm pretty technologically averse. I was able to join the call, <laughs> but that's kind of <laughs> yeah, my limit. Um, I know there's a lot of contemporary writing now involving video art. I have a friend named Madison MacArthur getting a PhD in creative writing at uh, UC Santa Cruz, and their work uh they they have crazy animations with like subtitles and the subtitles feed into the idea of the poem. Um, I have no idea how any of that great. happens technically, but um, it's really thrilling, right? Um, to to reach beyond the page and uh, even though I'm not quite sure how I would enact that in my own work, it's it's really really exciting to witness.
1: Yeah, great. Yeah, okay. I, have, I haven't even heard of things like that. When you even asked the question, JW, I did not even. I was like, what is he talking about? <laughs> <laughs> so I haven't heard of that. It's super interesting. And I think that it speaks to how writing is is such a an art form.
2: And mm-hmm. I love that.
1: It's really interesting.
2: Absolutely.
0: Yeah, it feels more like art art, I guess, in a way than yeah. writing to me
1: in some ways nowadays.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Kind of like that feeling that you get when you look at a a painting or something like that. It's mm-hmm. almost like, like words. Yeah the words that go along with it. It's really neat. Fascinating.
0: Okay, so we did just hear our listeners just listen to um, the From Windows poems uh, by Dennis. Do you have any feedback or anything in particular you liked about some of his work before we move on to your piece that we really enjoyed?
2: Absolutely. Yeah, so I'd love to focus on um, one of the stanzas. So um, for those of you who are listening and don't know what a stanza is, um, a stanza is like the formal unit of organization for a poem. So Uh, For prose, it's a paragraph. For poetry, it's a stanza. Um, Dennis has a really excellent stanza. In the middle of his poem, um, the first line is, this morning I mistook, um, and it goes on. So I want to focus on this one. Um, Thinking about, Melissa, your question of, of rules for poetry, I think especially with contemporary poetry, as long as the rules as long as the logic of the poem, right, as you're reading it makes sense, you understand why these formal moves are happening. Um, I think that's really sufficient for work that's sort of blurring the boundaries a little bit. And so, in Dennis's poem, I'm really drawn to uh, a stanza towards the middle. Um, It begins with the line, this morning I mistook. And I think especially thinking about what rules or what what logic we can we can notice in a poem to get a sense of bearings, especially when uh, maybe less obvious traditional rules are being uh, abided by, it can really help uh, make sense of a piece. So, I think uh, Dennis gives us some really nice clues in this stanza um, for for how to make sense of it. So, for example, ending the first line with uh, a mistake right this morning I mistook. We get a sense of. Uh, surprise, maybe. Uh, We wonder, we anticipate uh, what the mistake is. And I think breaking the line there sort of emphasizes that uh, sensation, uh, which Mm -hmm. really drew my eye as a reader. I wanted to know what the mistake was, especially since in the earlier stanzas, um, we get so much rich uh, natural detail and sort of sensual detail. I I just wanted to know, you know, uh, what what landscape might have been mistaken. So, of course, we get the sky for an ocean and the windshield and he he explains that right as a surreal vision um and in the in those few lines right we see so many different terrains being explored together uh which i find really generative and then he uses words like folds later um in the stanza concluding uh which i think just emphasizes that choice right that he's really aware of manipulating this mistake so that the reader feels that as they're reading uh the poem hmm. so yeah, in short, I think that's why this is my favorite of, of the stanzas. Um, yeah, it really excited me. And then I love, like, we get all this surreal detail, we get all this folding of landscape, but then we also get the specific place name of Cheyenne, Wyoming, which to me makes it even more surreal um, just because of that contrast. Uh, so I thought it was really exciting.
1: Interesting. Yeah, great. That kind of makes me think about something. When I look at poetry, I always wonder where where the the natural breaks are. And I know in poetry explorations that I've done where the last word of each line is kind of emphasized by Mm -hmm. way of being the last word right totally so that's what you were kind of talking about the the writer when you read poetry is trying to tell us something by the last word of each each line
2: Mm -hmm. absolutely yeah I think of the white space right uh the stuff around the words kind of serves as a as an emphasis, as a contrast, right? It, it stands against the language. So especially in this piece where there's only, um, I'm waiting on a new vision prescription, so my vision's not perfect, but <laughs> it looks like there's only two periods, right? So that also, um, those those lines get added emphasis when we get that sense of conclusiveness. Um, definitely. I think last, last words are um, really vital components of, of a poem.
1: Interesting. It is. And how do you for someone reading this with without the audio when you're reading this and you have the period versus the end of the line is there a difference in kind of how you should read those
2: sure that's an excellent question um i joke about this question with my students sometimes thinking about uh the poem as uh as like a score right and so Mm -hmm. for example when you have a line breaker white space maybe you pause for two seconds but when there's a period maybe you pause for five and I joke that of course you kind of have to be robotic to do that perfectly the whole (laughs) way through um I don't put that much effort into my readings but I do think about emphasizing those pauses in different ways throughout and it's a little bit more dynamic and you know it's not like okay I'm pausing for five seconds now but um
1: (laughs) set my timer
2: yeah (laughs) yeah But it's, you know, um, the poem kind of teaches us how to read it rhythmically, too. So following its cues, you know, however, however you perceive them as a reader, I think is a great way to approach reading.
1: Oh, that's great.
0: Well, um, so you've got a beautiful poem that you sent us, some people, Mm -hmm. and I I know you're going to read it here in a minute and then kind of maybe unpack it for us and tell us a little bit more about it. One of the questions before you begin, though, because this isn't on our website, Mm -hmm for folks is that this is basically a fully justified poem so mm-hmm. what was your thought process in in doing that like taking up that whole kind of rectangular space in a way of the page
2: sure that's a great question so well first the the poem uh, is called some people and i play with that i repeat that phrase throughout the whole poem um, it originated with a text it was advice from one of my friends right some people are just better left mm-hmm. frozen in time and so i wanted to think about how <laughs> I could play up that advice and make it stranger as as you'll hear in a minute throughout the text, but sort of being faithful to like the format of a text message right um that they're they're blocks and I think just to emphasize um, hopefully at least the logic of the poem right i didn't want it to look like a sort of haphazard paragraph or something like that by playing with the justification. Um, I could make it clear, like visually, this is a box, right? Um, This is a container for the ideas that I have. Oh, um, I love that. Thank you. That is so fascinating. Yeah. It was fun to play with and figuring out, you know, I still wondered about line breaks, even though it was manipulated by the justification. I I did that till I found that square until I was pleased with the words that were at the end of the line nonetheless. So it was a good experiment. Great. That
0: sounds really cool. Well, okay. Well, if you could go ahead and um, it's a little bonus for our listeners today. You know, we get to hear some people read by
2: A.M. Some people. Some people are better left frozen in time. Some people are better treading melted glass. Some people are better placed in webs of grass. Others are better dunking their heads in founts of sap. From a pine, from a pining. I will build my love a tower, a crystal fountain, molasses mirror. I will build tunnels of green glass. I will turn my head from side to side, streams spilling out until I'm floating, until a diorama diadem, until I'm in the valley of prisms, and we'll all go together. Some people are better held in a blink, in the in-between, in ecstatic halting, others in unplaced vigilance. Who should I keep here? Some people are better left in the prism, prism, valley, O, in the O of the multiplied valley. Some people are better left frozen in blood and bleeding hearts turned to pulp with a hammer. Some people are better left under the water. Some with Gregorian chants in slow motion through them. Some are best crouched, mute, before a crystal sphinx. Some with a rose held between teeth. Others are better with the rabbits, the swans, with buffalo, babies. Some people are better left spinning, some spinning silk. Who do I hold crying? Who with huckleberry? Some should be sung lullabies. Some should sing. Some should be awakened after indeterminate years. By the time the monks have smoked thousands of cigarettes, their voices rough, they'll sing into an echo chamber. Let one person turn their chin to the left. Gently, gently.
0: Great. Thank Absolutely. you. <laughs> and that was published in the Bennington Review in 2020. So yes, it nice was. Job. <laughs> Thank
2: you, Thank you.
0: Yes. Well, and one thing that I had a question about related to this piece, uh, maybe you would plan to get to is some of these, of course, listeners won't know, some of these words are in italics. And yes. so what was your intent with that?
2: Certainly. So thinking about rhythm and how, how to play with rhythm in a block of text, um, I thought of italics as a way of uh, creating a, at least a texture on the page um, that might affect a different rhythm than the non-italicized words. Um, mm. In the same way I was talking about um, line breaks sort of emphasizing a rhythm I wondered if italics might create a a texture of, like, thickening, right? Um, And when the poem is, the logic of this poem is kind of accumulation, right? Really weird accumulation. Um, I wondered how italics might emphasize that. So the first italicized line, I will build my love a tower, is actually a quote um, from uh, an Irish folk song, uh, Wild Mountain Time, which is Mm. one of my favorite songs. And I didn't want to put it in quotes because I thought that looked ugly. But then once that was there um i started thinking about the possibilities of italics so it came from that moment of of citation honestly um great
0: interesting it's so cool yeah. thank you okay what and then you have uh, the next one is and we'll all go together is that the next one i see yeah
2: yes and that's another lyric it's another mm. lyric from the song uh thinking about uh sort of slicing it creating something new with it uh, again with the idea of texture um because the rhythm of the poem is, of course, a lot different than the rhythm of the song. So I guess the only non-quote italics would be the word here and then the word oh. Um, and those are sort of, to me, like echoes of the song or, or um, examples of the song sort of affecting my thought process, maybe.
1: Interesting. So you said you, you have a couple of inspirations for this particular poem. hmm you have your song that you said was one of your favorites, mm-hmm. and then you said a friend texted you, yes. right? And so that, so how does the text fit into to your poem?
2: Sure, so I think starting off with the line that my friend texted me sort of created a foundation to move off of, created uh, maybe an expectation for the reader like in Dennis's poem where he, he talks about the mistake, right, early on, and we wonder right. about that. Um Perhaps, by starting with the some people, and then if you see um, the second sentence still in the first line also begins the same way, uh, mm-hmm. maybe there's an expectation of um perhaps multiple people being talked about or uh just like a sustained examination of of what people are are worth you know keeping close and what people uh we just need to let go of because you know they're not a positive presence or or whatever it may be right um mm-hmm. yeah. so I think. Keeping the text first um, and choosing not to italicize the text, um, for me, was a way of making that advice my own and playing with it, because yeah. this was a person in my life um, who was very hard to let go of. And so I think by, by repeating and by coming up with these strange images, like what's weirder than being frozen in time, you know, uh, I sort right. of played up that idea of, of loss even, but trying to make it playful.
1: Yes. Oh, that first line brings you in. Some people are better left frozen in time. It's it's something that freezes in your mind mm. almost. It just sticks with you and you, you want to continue reading to see what you mean.
2: Hmm. That's beautiful.
0: <laughs> well, some people avoid poetry <laughs> because yeah. it seems kind of cerebral. <laughs> so, um, you know, what would you say to folks about taking on poetry?
2: Sure. That's a great question. Well, I think poetry can be intimidating, especially for people who have understandably an association that it's this really rigid art form that you need an education to understand or that, you know, uh, if you don't understand Shakespeare, you're just not, you're not going to cut it, right? Mm -hmm. These things like that kind of create barriers from the get-go, even if we're not aware of them. So I think recognizing that there's more possibility um, and there's more play, I think, for maybe folks who are less formally educated in poetry in what's happening at the moment, right? There's Mm -hmm. more points of access just based on uh, more political poetry or more, I don't know, poetry about art or movies that maybe someone has seen. And so there's another point of entry through there, like uh, points of familiarity or access. I think discomfort can be really generative if you let yourself feel confused about the poem right if you let yourself look at a text you see and think what the heck is going on here right that's not a bad question to ask and just spending time with that that impulse trying to understand what the logic of the poem is i think can really transform that discomfort into something meaningful but i also tell my college students when i teach composition we read a wide variety of personal essays because i'll ask you know at the end of the unit that they write one of their own And I say, you know, you don't have to like all of these. Maybe you like one of them. Maybe you like one sentence. Um, Recognizing what you don't like is also really useful because I think that's where you find your voice, right? If you know you don't want to have a stream of consciousness, uh, maybe your writing is going to be more direct. And you wouldn't have known that, perhaps, unless you'd read some crazy essay or something like like that. Yeah, good
0: point. Well, one thing also you've mentioned a couple of times is generative. Mm-hmm. So what, what do you mean by that for our reader, writer, listeners?
2: Sure. So that's a great question. Uh, inspiring, activating maybe. I think of poetry. Poetry activates something in our mind that, you know, reading the newspaper might not because the form is expected. It's a, a vessel for delivering information um, in a way that a, a poem is a vessel for, for play, right? Maybe it's for communicating an emotion. Uh, maybe it's for just wordplay. play. Uh, one of my favorite books is called Sleeping with the Dictionary by Harriet Mullen. And oh. a lot of it is completely nonsensical, but her word play <laughs> is just divine. You know, you can tell she really has a love for language just based mm. on the rhymes she creates on the page. So I think, yeah, generative would mean like an act, the poem is an active site. And I think that in itself can make people uncomfortable because, we might not be used to that.
0: Yeah, it's a great point. Probably reading poetry that stre- makes you stretch your expectations a little bit because you come to it with expectations, whether you mean to or not.
1: Mm-hmm, absolutely. Right. And
0: then the poem kind of hits you in the face with
1: meeting those or not meeting them. Absolutely. I think it's interesting when we're talking about what the the author's intent. Mm-hmm. And I think something when we talk about people being afraid of reading poetry that you you're afraid that you're not going to understand the author's intent. Hmm. And in some cases, it's fun to spend time, you know, what did the author mean by this? What were they trying to say? But then there's also some value in reading the piece, and correct me if I'm wrong, and kind of gathering what you get from Mm -hmm. it, because that's part of, I think, poetry is you can read it no matter what the poet intended to get onto the page or intended even for you to gather from it what you gather is also just as
2: important,
1: Absolutely. and that's a piece of it.
2: Absolutely. It's a huge piece. Uh, I think that's what makes poetry almost, well, for me, literally sacred, right? There's a, yeah. a possibility for the reader to bring something completely new to the page, um, which I find really exciting. I think, yeah, usually we, we don't know. We certainly don't know what motivated the poem, right? Uh, what right. motivated the author to write the poem, we may be able to discern some of their intention just through the way it looks on the page right um right. recognizing okay this is all here for a reason but then thinking about the meaning of the poem i think is is so subjective as you were saying melissa right the reader can bring something really unique which again with this idea of a uh, poem is active right it it yeah. requires a reader
1: I love that when you're reading a novel or a short story, it's different. Mm-hmm. You're a part of the story, but you're kind of being entertained by it. But now I'm looking at poetry in a different way. It's drawing me in even more hmm. just during this conversation to think of being an active part of it, mm-hmm. and you, as the, the poet, brings something and the reader brings something because it's two different interpretations coming together. So that's that makes it a little less scary too for the reader.
2: Oh, I'm so glad. No fear. There should be no fear with poetry.
1: <laughs> That's right. I love it. I love it. I'm feeling better about poetry already. Good. <laughs>
0: well, good, and we hope that our listeners are too. Okay, so understanding that poetry can be more of an open canvas, really more than perhaps it used to be mm-hmm. you know, many, many years ago, um, is there, or in your teaching of the class, of your class and to your students, is there a way to um, approach a poem to be receptive and or... I don't know, the the way to get the most out of it is kind of what I'm trying to get to.
2: Yes. So how to approach a poem and get the most out of it. I think especially when discomfort is the first feeling, you know, when you open a book or open an online journal, um, I think rereading can be really useful in my classes. And of course, I, I don't really have a way of controlling this. I ask my students to reread whatever it is we've discussed in class that day to see if the way they approach the piece is different after having just talked about it with people. So that being said, I think for folks out of school, you know, reading a poem with a friend and then talking about it, and then maybe a week later making a point of reading it again and seeing how oh. how your experience has transformed, right? Um, like Melissa was saying, if a reader brings something unique to the page, certainly discussing it in a group or even with one other person um, that that possibility is just going to multiply. So there's lots of potential for meaning in uh, making poetry reading communal. Hmm. So I think, you know, and it doesn't have to be as formal as like a book club per se, you know, it could you text a friend a link to a poem and say, hey, you want to look at this with me, right? Um, yeah. So I think that would be my first piece of advice. I also think that Reading a piece in multiple locations, as weird as that sounds, can be interesting. it um, is
0: interesting. That
2: is. I don't know. Have any like scientific reasoning behind it? But I think <laughs> you know, we we feel differently in different spaces, right? I feel professional when I'm in my office. I feel like my right. guard is down when I'm in my backyard. And you know, how is a piece different uh, if I read it in each location? Um, so yeah. it's something to play with too.
1: You could even do it in different outfits.
2: Indeed. <laughs>
1: Oh,
0: my goodness. Yeah. Well, I mean, that
1: sounds cool. I, I love it. <laughs> There's so much more to poetry than than I ever thought.
2: That's but, great. You know,
1: talking about the reading a poem with someone.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm a part of a book club and I we keep quiet during before the before we gather. Mm-hmm. And then we talk about the book together. We don't say anything ahead of time. Mm. So we go in with these ideas of rating and everything. And frequently I'll find that after talking about something, my rating of the book will even change.
2: Mm, because
1: you you experience things different in different ways. So when somebody is talking about, oh, I didn't like this part because the author didn't do this well. And then somebody else says, well, I think they did do it well because blah, blah, blah. And so you're looking at it. You get these two different aspects. It's kind of like the mm-hmm. poet and the reader bringing something when you have different people bringing out different aspects, it enhances your understanding of, of different emotions and everything. So
2: absolutely, I think
1: that's a really, I think that's really good advice.
2: Great. Yeah. And with a, a book club, right? Uh, generally it is a group of people you trust and feel comfortable around, which is great for yeah. talking about literature and Whether the other folks in the club intend to or not, right, they can challenge uh, people's biases or subjectivities just by voicing their own opinions, which I think is really, really lovely. And, yes, again, generative, (laughs) to use the word. (laughs) You have to ask your
0: students if you use that word a lot in class. I'll be curious to see. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, me
1: too. It's a
0: good word. It is a great word. I love it. It's active. So, um, wow, we're already up here uh, coming up on time. So we definitely want you at the end here to give us where folks can find more about you and your writing and the porch probably as well. Mm-hmm. But one of the questions that I did want to get to is, you know, what ways do you think that poetry, since you are a more than just a poet, mm-hmm. you know, what ways do you think that poetry can help other areas of your writing?
2: Sure. So that's a great question. I'm working on a novel right now, and I'm finding uh, poetry seeping in 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 weird moments. You know, um, (laughs) certainly uh, imagery, right? Having an eye for um, more sensory detail can really liven up a piece of narrative prose. I also think that the type of you know, and if I say a poem is like an artifact of distilled attention, I'm sure that a fiction writer might be offended and say, well, hey, my story is distilled attention too. Um So I, I'm, I may ruffle some feathers, but I think that the type of distilled attention, at least, right, that happens in a poem can unlock or loosen something in prose and, yeah. you know, create more surprise on the page. I find mm-hmm. myself paying a lot more attention to my sentences because I'm a poet, even if it's alliteration or something like that, or um, having a series of short sentences to emphasize something really intense that's happening in the plot or something like that. So yeah, yeah I think there should be a relationship between all these genres. Absolutely.
1: Hmm. Let me ask you what you think about this. Hmm. So an, poetry is kind of like emotion on the page almost, at least I mm-hmm. think of it that way.
2: Yeah.
1: And there's a lot of allegory. So, poet is the allegory for an emotion that the poet is feeling possibly Mm -hmm. or for other things but I find some of the richest writing just in in fiction writing Mm -hmm. is when you use an allegory really well to describe a character's emotion Mm. and I think do you think poetry could enhance something like that within a novel?
2: Certainly I think I mean unless you're writing an epic poem the economy of language your allegory is going to have to be pretty tight pretty succinct and for a Prose writer that may feel less intuitive, right? So, for you, when you're reading a novel and you see this allegory on the page, it makes a big impact because of that, uh, perhaps.
1: Very nice.
0: All right. Well, is there any advice that you would want to give uh, readers or writers out there related to poetry before we move into signing off the show here?
2: Sure. I think if you're trying to make poetry a bigger part of your life, Building it into your daily routine can be really useful, even if it's, you know, mm. reading a poem before dinner or before bed or when you wake up, if you're, you know, if you don't need caffeine, um, <laughs> just playing <laughs> with integrating it into your life, I think will make it feel more accessible um, just because it's part of your routine. So
0: Terrific. Well, that's great advice. And thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, my um, pleasure. Uh... Where can folks find out more information about you and what's going on in your writing career?
2: Sure. Um, Well, thank you for asking. Uh, I have a very long name. It's about to become legally longer because my husband and I hyphenated our last names. But um, (laughs) my website is annmalenringwalt.com. So if you're on the podcast, you can see how to spell Ringwalt, I imagine. Um, And Ann Malin is A-N-N-E-M-A-L-I-N. So um, yeah, annmalenringwalt.com. I link any poems that are published in online journals there, any essays or criticism, Um, whenever I have a class going on, I link that too. So it's kind of like the the hub for whatever, you know, whatever it is you're interested in that I'm doing, there's probably a piece of that on my website.
0: Oh, that's great. And it's a beautiful website, it's very nicely done.
2: Thank it you. I, uh, it was a pandemic project of mine.
0: <laughs> ah, good. Well, and the porch. So you do, you have a class coming up with the porch, yes. and we've already had uh, Katie McDougall here on the yeah. show for the porch, and we, we love the porch uh, in fabulous. support for writers. So uh, tell us about that class again.
2: Sure. So it's called Writing the Diary, and it'll be six weeks starting on May fifteenth, and we'll be exploring um, how diaries appear or appear in or even transform works of uh, fiction, nonfiction, and poetry. I'll be asking the participants to keep a diary of their own throughout the program. And, you know, it's up to them depending on their work life, if they want to write every day or once a week or every hour, if they're really ambitious, right. Um, (laughs) Ultimately it's up to them. Um, But so it's jointly sort of uh, reading and writing. So I'm really looking forward to it. And it's fun teaching with the porch because it gives me space to think through questions I have about literature. Like uh, I think of it as like teaching with the participants rather than, me imparting some wisdom i'm curious about diaries so you know we're all going to explore them together
0: <laughs> that's great and are you
1: doing this all virtually
2: yes it'll be on zoom it'll okay, be on zoom great, mm-hmm. great. very good that's so fun. from
1: anywhere you can join it
2: indeed indeed i taught a class in the spring and we had a participant in upstate new york which was uh exciting to me <laughs> somehow she oh, found out great. about it
0: <laughs> very well um I'm not sure when this show is going to get posted. We're recording on, what, the 6th, 7th. But, yeah, hopefully maybe folks can join in late. You should uh, get excited about it. You should kind of leave that open.
2: (laughs) Absolutely. And I'm toying with launching like a Patreon this summer. I don't know. We'll see. But um, certainly I'll be at the porch again, hopefully in the fall, if anyone wants to join me then. Terrific
0: all right am well thank you so much for giving us sort of a poetry 101 and breaking down one of your poems and uh, i think it's been really helpful for me even as a, as a poetry reader fabulous! me too great so thanks again for being on the show
2: you're welcome thank you both thank you
0: thank you very much for listening we hope you enjoyed the show if so please help us spread the word by telling your friends or giving us a rating and review on your favorite podcast app those reviews really make a difference We'd like to thank the folks at Literature & Latte, the makers of Scrivener, for sponsoring the podcast and providing an amazing tool for writers. If you'd like to take your writing to the next level and use a tool designed for writers by writers, then give Scrivener a try. What have you got to lose? The Story Discovery Podcast is a free narrated podcast of the works that appear in Etched Onyx Magazine. Edited by J.W. McAteer and Kevin McMahon. All stories and poems are available for free at onyxpublications.com. That's O-N-Y-X publications.com. If you'd like to support the continuation of this podcast and or the magazine, please consider a small donation through Patreon at patreon.com onyxpublications. As a nano-publishing house, we are always looking for new works to showcase. If you'd like to submit a story or poem for consideration, please visit the submissions page on our website. In the meantime, keep reading and writing.